As you make your way to your seats, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be beginning with verse 12 and looking through the end, through the end of the chapter this morning. Uh, but for those who haven't had a chance to meet, uh, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here with Mercy Hill, and it really is just a joy to have each of you here with us this morning. If you are a guest and I didn't get a chance to meet you yet, really, thank you for being here, and I'd love to just get a chance to meet you afterwards this morning, and just thank you more personally for being here this morning. But if you lived in England, if you were an English citizen about a thousand years ago in the 1100s, you lived under the reign of King Richard I. But if you lived in the reign, under the reign of King Richard I, it was actually a real bad time to be living in England. Not just because, I don't know, a thousand years ago, just, you know, before electricity and indoor plumbing and internet and all that, it just seemed like a bad time to live anywhere. There was this sense of that to live there at that time was very destabilized because then King Richard I was off fighting in the Crusades. And when, while Richard was off fighting in the Crusades, internally, there was, because the king was gone, there was just a lot of sort of dissension in the country. There was a lot of just threats to the throne. So different family members tried to sort of stake claim to the throne because cause the king was away and he might not come back. So there's a bunch of internal conflicts. The enemy saw that the king away, that the army was already at war. So there was a bunch of external enemies that were coming and invading. And there was just sort of this time of chaos in the 1100s in England because because the king simply was not there. Then the end of the Crusades, he he came back. And very quickly, order was restored. Very quickly, the, the challengers were put down. Very quickly, there was treaties with different with the different nations that there needed to be treaties with. People were put in prison. There was just a sense of it just didn't magically happen. What happened was the king came back and he just restored order to where there was this order. But the, the return of the king changed everything. And then after he was back, there was a sense of life is as it should be living in Great Britain because the arrival of the king changes everything. Well, the earth, since about day two, has been under a curse. It has been under a curse of sin and death, sin and all of its horrible consequences. The Bible says that creation has been groaning for the return of her maker and king. And in Matthew chapter 4, the king has arrived and everything is different. What we see in Matthew chapter 4 is the king begins to put everything back in its place. Now, if you've been here for the series, if you're familiar with the book of Matthew, he, he obviously he arrived in chapter 1, right? Chapter 1 is about his birth. But but in, but in chapter four, it, he's now public. This is the first time where Jesus is, is now in public. This be, begins the beginning of his public ministry. So before this is the inauguration of, of what it means for, for, for him to be in ministry. This is the beginning of three years of him, of just sort of the next three years are just him story after story of teaching and of miracles that ends in Jerusalem at the cross. So earlier in the book, it was his birth, his childhood, even Earlier in chapter three, there was a story of, of of him in the in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. But again, these are all kind of behind the scenes stories. But now, if you will, he's public and it's getting real. The king is now on the scene. He's in real time for folks to to see and to hear from. And what we're going to see is that the arrival of the king changes everything. We can hear that and say it's not just that the arrival of the king changes everything in general out there. It's we we all live waiting for the king to make right of our lives and trusting that he will. We all have sin that we need him to be the one who fights for us and defends us. There are some here that need to submit to his rule rather than our own, but we all live lives that we need to more and more submit our lives to, to the rule of this king. And so it's not just that he changes everything in general, it's he is changing everything for us and he must change everything for us. So let's look at his arrival of public ministry 
in chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. In the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people in dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him back, all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And the main point we're going to look at this morning is the arrival of the king changes everything. Let's pray and then we'll jump in. Well, Father, would you help me to be clear with what I say, would you help me to be helpful with what I say, Lord, would I serve your people well this morning? Lord, I pray for all that are here, whether they have never submitted their lives to you or those who have followed you for a long time. Lord, there are all, all of us have areas that we need to submit more to you. So, Lord, I pray that the fruit of spending time in your word this morning, that we all live more in submission of our true and good King, Jesus Christ, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, point one we're going to look at is the arrival of the King. The arrival of the King. So, in verse 12, it notes that John was arrested, right? Now, we're going to, you're going to pick up more of his story later on in the book, but you're probably already aware of this, but from earlier, he baptized Jesus, right? His role was, he was this prophetic forerunner of Christ. So, his role was to say, hey, there's come, one going to be coming after me who... Hey, take the attention off of me and look at him. The one that's coming is, is a big deal. And that was his role. And this guy is now arrested. And it really means that the, the one who was coming before is now off the scene. And it's sort of, it's just this way of sort of saying just the main attraction is now here. Whatever was the precursor to all this, it, it's now off the scene. He, he's in jail. The, the main thing is here. And the stage is, is his alone. Is, is, and so really the rest of Matthew, it's just going to be clear that Jesus Christ is the sole focus of, of what's going on here and his, as his ministry launches. And this is verse 13. It notes that he goes from Nazareth to Capernaum. And then in this passage, it lists 11 other places that he would go, that he went in, the, in this short period. Now, if you have a map of sort of this time period, you would see he went to northeast, to northwest, to southeast. He, he went to big cities. He went to obscure towns and what, what is he doing? He's not just giving Jesus his travel journal here, like we're just trying to document it, but, but, it, but it's to note from, from day one of his ministry 
that what verse 16 says is going to be true, that Jesus is coming to be into the place of darkness, that the, that the one who is the light is coming into the place of darkness, wherever that is, that he is just seeking out any of these places of darkness. He's, he's just going to bring light and he's going north and east and south and west to call a people. He's literally just going all over the map, going to big cities and to rural towns. He's going to big and to small, to, to wealthy and to poor communities, to ethnically diverse communities. He's just going everywhere in, in, in his mission. But then it's not just that he's going everywhere in general, right? Okay, so he's kind of all over the map and he's going everywhere. It's not just that he's going everywhere. He also noted, he notes one particular place he is going. So he lists 11 places and kind of to give this widespreadness. But then four times he draws attention to the fact that he is going to Galilee. Now, now why there? Why, why, why is this important that he's going to Galilee? Well, verse 14 informs us that it's to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, this time specifically Isaiah 9, where it says that the promised one would go through Galilee. But he could have just sort of mentioned it once, and it could have sort of checked the prophetic box that he was going to Galilee, right? If it was just a matter of sort of fulfilling prophecy, he could have just mentioned it, and we could have moved on. But he's drawing special attention. He's mentioning four times that he is, he is going to Galilee. Now, why, why does he draw attention to it? You know, we live in a, we just live in a political age, though. I, I was going to say, we live, we're, we're in a time period where it's kind of like politics are on the front burner now. But I just think it's, politics are just now always on the front burner, it seems like. But kind of right, we're in campaign season. And when politicians like announce their campaign, there's usually some symbolism about where they're launching their campaign from, right? So if you're, you know, if you launch your campaign from, from your hometown, you're probably trying to indicate, right, you're, you're a hometown guy, that, you know, you're, you're close to your roots, you're, you know, family values, or, you know, whatever. If you launch from your hometown, you probably are trying to, you know, communicate that. If you launch from in front of an, you know, elementary school, you're probably trying to announce, hey, I'm, I'm the education person. You know, I'm the, I'm the leader who cares most about education or, you know, the tech corridor. You know, I'm, I'm a visionary. I've got the future in mind, right? I mean, you just... Sort of where you launch, there's usually a lot of symbolism in these campaigns and, and where, they, where they launch from and what they want to communicate about sort of the leader they intend to be. Well, Jesus is launching his public ministry from Galilee. And verse 15 notes that this is Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, what, what is he looking to communicate by launching his ministry from here? He's trying to say, listen, I'm not the savior of a, of a small band of people. I'm not, I'm not coming to save a, a, a few of the Jewish elite or at least start with them as, as one would have expected back then for the Messiah to come and save first. He is making it very clear. No, I, I'm the Savior of the world. I'm coming to Jew and Gentile. I am coming to everyone. And I'm coming to Galilee, this, gent, this Gentile poor town. I'm coming to all people who live in darkness. I'm coming to a people of no worldly acclaim, of no earthly power. I am coming for the desperate and for the needy. Jesus is looking for followers, and he's not, he's, not, he's not only with the Jews or the powerful or for the elite. He is, he is going for, for everyone who dwells in darkness. He is saying, saying, I'm coming for them. He is coming for those you wouldn't expect him to come for. So that, that's when he comes, but note also how he comes. So that's where he comes, but notice also how he comes. Notice what else accompanies his arrival. Note what takes place in verses 23 through 25. It says this, he heals, right, what happens in verse 23 through 25? He heals every disease and he heals every affliction. 
So they brought out all the sick, right? And all the demons and all the diseases are just cast out of those who came near, right? They just did this. It's not just he happened to heal a disease, so they brought a bunch of people. It was saying everyone he just cast out, everyone he just healed, everyone he just, he had, he had this, this sort of overwhelming power to him. Now, what's the point in all this? What, why is he drawing attention to this? I do think it's to offer us a glimpse of, of the mercy of Jesus and the kindness of Christ. But I think the primary thing he's trying to show is, is the power of Jesus as he launches his ministry. He's making it very clear. No disease stands a chance against him. Nature is subject to him. Satan is now on the run because his kingdom is a kingdom of power that nothing stands in his way. There is nothing more powerful than this king who has arrived. That what has oppressed humanity for generations, what has oppressed humanity for all her generations and sin and death and disease and Satan, this king is, has now ushered in a new kingdom. The curse is slowly being reversed as the king is on the scene. Satan's head is slowly but surely being crushed under Christ's heel. So what's happening is heaven's lack of death and lack of mourning and lack of crying and lack of pain is, is now being brought into this age as the kingdom is now here. The reality of heaven and of the heavenly kingdom is now being ushered in on earth. There's a sense of the, the, the kingdom is here and yet the best is, is still to come. So his arrival marks a the arrival of this kingdom gives a, gives a foretaste of an appetizer of the, of the heavenly reality, the daily reality of the eternal kingdom. Now, in some ways, I recognize right what, what, what Jesus what Jesus offers, right, being with Jesus. There's a unique time in history, right? There's there's a sense of what what Jesus is offering in some ways is it's unique to and located on Christ, right? There's there's a sense that. That, that, that the power he has and the, the stories we read of, there's a unique time in redemptive history. There's a unique inauguration that this represents. That there's a, it's, it's already here, he's brought it, but there's a, it's not yet fully realized. But, but, but he's trying to make it say, but listen, this, this is just a foretaste. This is a, this is a small bit of, of, of the reality of the eternal and the heavenly kingdom. What, what you're just seeing a glimpse of now, it, it, that, that's like, that, that, it's, that's, that's heaven sort of just coming down, and you're just getting a foretaste of it. Do you see the, the, just the, the beauty of the eternal heavenly kingdom? He's just, he's just bringing out that this is just, you're just getting a taste now of Satan being on the run, of disease being gone, of the, of the, of the power of the kingdom. Yeah, I'm aware that we can, we can read this, right? And think, well, this, this, is, this is wonderful for them. I mean, really, it's wonderful that diseases are healed and afflictions are gone and Satan is, just demons are being cast out. But we, we all live, right, in the age where we think of sicknesses or diseases that, that have affected us and those we love. And we think, but this hasn't been healed. And there are effects of the attack of evil and of the evil one that that have affected us very much, and we, we live in the reality of that, of certain deaths that he did not prevent, consequences of sin, that there's brokenness that we have that is not yet mended, and that there's afflictions and addictions that we have not yet been released from. And so it's easy to live in the reality. Boy, it's, it's wonderful that he did that, and it's wonderful that his... He has the power to do that, but the cost of sin and 
its consequences, the sin of others, the sin of myself, it, it, it's high and it's, and it's here and it's now. And so the pain of him not being here, here and now to do this himself is, is very real. So we can say we, we live in the already and the not yet, and boy, the, the, the wonderful, wonderful appetizer, or wonderful foretaste, but man, like here and now, it, it doesn't answer some of the whys. And I'm not going to pretend, I, I don't know the whys of some of your life, why, why certain things didn't get stopped, why, why certain things have not been reversed, why certain things have been allowed to continue. And I'm not going to pretend to know why. I'm not going to take a guess. But here's what I know, is that our King not only gives us a, king, a taste of the eternal kingdom today, He will bring us there. He will bring all his people to the kingdom where there is no sickness or disease or death or mourning or sin or temptation where Satan will fully and finally be forever vanquished. That whatever it is that will try to oppose you today, that nothing will stop our king from delivering the fullness of his kingdom and bringing all who trust in him there, that he is powerful, he is powerful enough to to deliver you through it, and He is powerful enough to deliver you to it. He is powerful enough to deliver you through the here and now and deliver you to the kingdom where you will be with Him with, with unveiled faces and no partial realities, no already but not yet, but it will be fully known. And so the things we have in our life, listen, I don't want to minimize them, but they are real. And they are painful. Because of the power of our King and the mercy of our King and the suffering of our King, they are very temporary. So the arrival of the King changes everything. The second thing I want to look at is the message of the King. The message of the King. So at the heart of this passage is not an act of Jesus, but it's the message of Jesus. Verse 17, the message of Jesus is this, to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So the great reversal of the curse has begun Satan is going to lose. Death is temporary. Evil is counting down the moments where it, that it's allowed to run freely around because the kingdom has arrived. Heaven has invaded the earth. And so his message is, so repent. Now, what does it mean to repent? In short, it means to turn around. It means to, to stop living for this kingdom and for the values of, of this kingdom here and now and stop believing the lies of the kingdom that is here and now and follow me, follow Jesus, turn to him. To recognize that what verse 16 is true, and it's true about me, that, that I am the one who lives in darkness, that my sin caused me to live in a world of darkness, but the light has come, so I will reject the darkness and follow the light that has dawned upon the earth. So the central message of the kingdom is not self-improvement, or 12 steps to better living, or, or sort of, the, sort of, sort of here, here's, here's sort of, different ways to get to eternity. No, 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 the message of the kingdom is repenting and trusting in the light who has come into the world. If you are here this morning and you are, if you're not a believer, if you've never turned from your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, or you're just not sure, you can kind of hear that, like, I, maybe I, I don't really know what that means. I want to say thank you for being here. Really, it, it means so much to us that you would that you would be here with us this morning. And I, I want to say, there's this popular notion, right? There's this popular rebuttal 
of Christianity today for, for the claims that it makes at being exclusive, right? That, that, that the Christian gospel would be, there's one way to God. It's the only, only Christ is, is the way to God. And so there's this rebuttal of, of Christianity because of the claims it would make to be exclusive. That, that whatever worldview that others would have or whatever religion others would have for whatever fun, whatever good there might be in them, whatever helpful things there might be in them, ultimately at the end of the day, they do not lead to heaven or to God. They ultimately do not lead to eternal life. And, I'm aware we don't like exclusive in our day. We don't like whatever, we, we, we tend to like, right? Whatever, whatever works for you, works for you is kind of what, what we like. And I want to be clear that if you trust in something other than Jesus for salvation, however, however you might feel, however you might think it works for you, it doesn't work for you. The gospel is exclusive. Christ is the only way to God. There is only one way to be forgiven of our sins, to be made right, to live in his eternal kingdom as his son or daughter. And it is by repenting and turning to Christ. It's not in what we can do, but in what Christ has done for us. That's it. Scriptures, there, there simply is no other way. And so it is, it is exclusive, and that would be an unpopular notion. But I would also say this, it is remarkably the most inclusive offer that can ever be made. Because it doesn't matter your ethnicity or your race or your gender or your wealth or your poverty or your marital status or your age or your education or your talents or your gifts or your nationality, whether you lived in the first century or the 21st century, it doesn't matter what you've done to make a mess of your life. It doesn't matter what sin you've committed. It doesn't matter how long you've lived in darkness. This offer is available to you and the command to repent is given to you. To repent and place your trust in the king. And be part of his kingdom. So I want to be clear, there's only one way. But that way is available to you. God has never turned anyone away who has been clinging to Jesus Christ. And he never will. So repent and turn to him. So the arrival of the king changes everything. The third thing I want to look at is the cost of the kingdom. The cost of the kingdom. So the message of the kingdom is that we must repent. We must turn. We must go from our old life to following him. I want to be clear about this. This will simply cost everything. There are two groups mentioned here. Verses 23 through 25. He, he attracts a crowd. Sense here is that not that the crowd is ingenuine in any way, but, but they aren't paying anything, right? They're, they're kind of curiosity seekers seeing what Christ is about. They're, they're, they're hearing about Jesus. They're hearing the stories. So they kind of want to see what the, what the buzz is all about. I think there's something natural, right, about just hearing or seeing something radical and just, just checking it out. And so that, that's what this crowd is doing. There's probably many of you who maybe walked through a season where you just weren't sure. You wanted, to, you wanted to know more about the historical evidence, which parenthetically added is just overwhelming. Or you wanted to ask questions. And, or maybe you wanted to be around Christians for a while just to, to, to see what it was like to follow him. That, that, that time is natural. But I want to be clear, that, that's different than discipleship. Sort of curiosity and, and seeing sort of a little bit at a distance what it's like. That's different than following him. So there was a crowd here that was curious. They were, they were checking Jesus out. But that's not a disciple. Here's what a disciple is. One who counts the cost and follows. 
Disciples are what we see in verses 18 through 22 where Jesus says, follow me. And what's it say twice that, that they did? It says, immediately they followed. Immediately they left the nets, they left the boats, they, they left the notes, they left the father, they left their boat business, they, they left the family trade. They just immediately got up and they went, they left it all behind. Whatever investment they had in that business, they didn't check sort of with their, with their best clients to see when it would work. They didn't sort of, sort of check their schedule to see when the best time would be to sort of maximize sort of profits and follow him. They just said, yep, we're out. We're just, we, we are done. They left their livelihood behind. That moment, they didn't know where their next meal was coming from, but they knew to follow him meant being willing to abandon all former loyalties. That's the same for us today. To, to follow him, we must be willing to, to abandon whatever it is in our old life that would keep us from him. Because the message of Jesus is true and because the power of Jesus is limitless and because the mission and reward of Jesus is of immeasurable value. And so to follow him... To follow him is a call to abandon earthly notions of success. For the most part, right, to, to follow him will, in, a, in a very real way, look, look like being demoted in the eyes of the world and by the values of the world. It's, a, it's an earthly demotion of status and stature. And it's an unbelievable promotion to spend your life on the eternal mission of God. See, to follow him, it's more than just being saved. It's more than just inclusive of salvation, but it's to join him in being fishers of men, to join him in, in gathering others and, and to, to, to call others to, to saving faith as well. And so, here's where right? they, they got the role, right? Pretty sweet. They get the role of apostle later on as this goes on. So, they, they got it pretty sweet. And I'm just, in case we're not clear on this point, that role's not open, that, that offer's not for us. So, um, that's been filled for a couple thousand years, the role of apostles and most of us are going to be called to keep the same jobs we have and have the same families we have. But for most, well, I would say for all who come, they must be willing to abandon their old loyalties. And for some, there's going to be this 180-degree radical, just, man, I remember what it was like when you followed me, and it was just a total 180 of where my life was going and, and then and where I started heading. That's going to look like for some, but for all, whether it looks like that radical 180 degree in the moment in the moment that you could just mark in time and just your life was completely different. For all of us, it looks like a daily decision to, to put away things and to put away sort of old loyalties, to put away things that would hold you back and to keep following. And for every one of us, it looks like a breaking from this world more and more every day. Just, okay, what would break me from this world and follow him? What would break me from this world and follow him? It's this constant, it's this constant leaving things behind and following him. For everyone who follows him, it's a daily decision to do that. The daily decision to, to leave old loyalties. But all who are disrupted from their former life know this, that no one who follows him lives an ordinary life or has an ordinary mission. And so to follow, it, it often does several relationships. It changes our entertainment. It changes the way we view our bank account and our dreams. To follow Jesus Christ costs everything. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Be a disciple means there's no plan B. There's no, you know, let's just take the nets with us in case it doesn't really work out, you know, and we can kind of pick this back up when I'm done. No, no, it means I'm, that's behind. I'm with him. I'm going. So in one way, I would say the cost of following him is incredibly high. 
In another way, I would just ask, what cost is there to following him? Jim Elliot famously said that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. To follow him, trades, temporary, earthly, here today, gone tomorrow, missions and rewards and earthly metrics of success to what is eternal and to what lasts for God's one eternal mission. So these disciples here are like disciples today. It costs everything in one way. It costs earthly plans and friends and dreams and wealth. You are no longer in control of your own life because there is another, there is a king who is calling the shots for you. But I also argue that those who walked out on the boat, those who got picked down their nets and followed him, it really cost them nothing. It cost them nothing of what they would have kept at the end. I want to be clear. It, it cost. It cost something of incalculable value. It's the highest possible cost for one to to be a disciple of Christ and to follow Him. It, it cost everything. There was the highest possible cost paid so that you and I could could follow Jesus. But the king who invites us into his kingdom, the king that invites us to follow him, is the one who paid everything himself. The king who invites us is the one who paid the highest price so that we could freely enter. He, he gave up everything so that we could, so we could pay nothing of what is eternal. The arrival of our king changes everything. So just one, one question by way of application. And simply is, have you left everything? Have you left, have you left your nets, so to speak? Have you left your nets? Have you left whatever that looks like in your life to follow Christ? For some of you, that's probably going to be an easy, just, no, I, ha- I haven't done that. I just want you to know, there, there's no life being in the crowd that just sort of observes others doing that. No, no, given who he is and what he's done, give it all to him. Leave behind whatever would hold you back and follow him. But for some, and I put my camera, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, yeah, I left everything. My life's different. I'm a Christian. Yep, I, I, I left everything behind. But my honest answer is, not really. You know, I, I don't know if you're like me. I, I like reading church bio, you know, biographies and church history stuff. And I'll read stories of missionaries and martyrs. And, you know, I like to think, man, if I had that one moment, you know, where sort of, you know, my life was on the line and somebody asked me to give up, you know, my life. Would I do it? I, I, like, I think I would. You know, I'd like to think I, I would do it, that I would, I would sacrifice everything for the, for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of Jesus. You know, so far he hasn't asked me to do that. Do you know what he's asked me to do instead? And I think for most of us in this room, this is what he's asking us to do. It's a thousand different ways of just every day leaving those nets and living for him. Twenty years ago, it, it really meant me just having radically different friends than, than the ones I would have grown up with. It meant different friendships. It meant not seeking popularity, not seeking sort of things, just just having better relationships. Ten years ago, it probably just meant, you know, how it really God had to redefine my, my relationship with media and just sort of decisions I made around media. That that was the, that was sort of putting down the net net today. It, 
It's really it's it's a thousand daily decisions of of, of generosity, right? It's it, it's what what it's cost us to 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 follow him is sort of looking around and saying, yep, that's that's something we're not going to have because this is what you're calling us to. This is what you're, how you're calling our finances to. It's it's in it's in marriage and it's in parenting. It's just in daily decisions of you know I I'm tired. I I'd rather lay on the couch. But this is what you've called me to. It's it's just evenings where it's like, you know, I, I'd rather be home. I'd, I'd rather have this night in, but but you're you're calling me out, right? And so it's 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 just daily decisions of, of how we set our life trajectory. It, it, it's it's countless number of small acts of faithful service. And each one of them they they hurt, right? It, most of us, I, I suspect, will have little pieces of net that just sort of pull us back into the world. They don't make us sort of abandon Christ. They just pull us back sort of to what we used to live for and what we want to live for. And boy, if we were calling the shots, things that, that I would call them differently then, but with little things. Listen, the call to Christ is, is a call to leave them all behind. So let me encourage you to talk to a friend, talk to somebody in your care group, to talk to a family member or a parent, just what am I not giving over to Jesus Christ right now? The test isn't, what did I give faithfully 20 years ago to Christ? The test is, what am, what, am I, what am I not giving over to Jesus Christ right now in my life? When, 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 when media pulls me in and it makes me not want to abandon everything, but it kind of just dulls my senses for the kingdom. Where do I seek popularity or attention on myself? Where do I, just where, Where's an area of my life I just don't want to be known because it doesn't look real pretty? Where, where are there just pockets of, of unrepented sin and just unrepented lust? Is there something I spend my money on that's just clear? I haven't left it all behind. Be those who, who leave it all and to help one another leave it all so we can follow our great King and we'll close in worship. Father, Thank you for sending your son, our king, who has changed everything for us. Lord, will we be those who leave everything so that nothing holds us back from following you? Lord, will we be not those who observe the mercy of Jesus at a distance? Would we be those who, in light of how Jesus has been merciful to us, would we be those who more and more leave everything behind? to follow him, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.